Now, it says on my list here that I'm supposed to pray. So usually I get so excited about speaking that I'm halfway through the sermon. I'm like, oh, no, I forgot to pray. So before we get uh, going, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace that is exhibited in all of creation. Lord, as we look outside and see the boats, as we see the sea, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is sovereign and supreme over all of creation. So as we try to understand your words to us in your scriptures, Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom, you give us insight and clarity. So we thank you for this opportunity that we have. In your name I pray. Amen. So I know that as a congregation you've been working through the of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, this is an amazing account of Jesus, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, specifically highlighting, am I flapping around here, the kingdom of God. You've discussed what, this ec- what the ethics of this kingdom are. You've uh, looked at stories of how Jesus is the arbiter of the ethics of the kingdom. And you've also seen what our response is to these things. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, you are going to get to the highlight, the pinnacle of the kingdom of God, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the ultimate display of authority and power through weakness in this new kingdom. So a few weeks back, when Matt and I are discussing what to speak, you know, because you, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, I get to preach next week as well. So we had a great laugh as we were looking through what text I should preach on, and we were actually, at that same time, thinking and chewing on the same text Matthew at the same time. So we kind of laughed. So Matt, in typical Matt fashion, says, well, just do it again. Preach it again. They need to hear it. So what we're going to do is push the big, huge rewind button a bit and uh, take a look at a text that you've already looked at a few weeks ago. We're going to revisit probably one of the key texts in the book of Matthew. Now, as a guest speaker... I get the privilege of preaching on my hobby horses. How many understand what that expression means? Hobby horse. Yeah, it means that, you know, Matt has to slug it through and he's got to preach everything in all the text, whereas I get to kind of parachute in and speak on what I'm passionate about. So I also, uh, for those of you that have not heard me speak before or have not, or are new here, um, I don't speak and present my sermons the same way that Matt does. I do the same exegetical verse-by-verse analysis, but I give the delivery in slightly a different way. So bear with me this morning. For those of you that have, do, who do not know I am, who I am, I'm Heath. Uh, my wife and I were missionaries in Greece for eight years. Uh, we planted a church there. Um, we moved back to the coast here about a year and a half ago, and we attend up at uh, Calvary Chapel at Davis Bay, where we live. So it is my pleasure this morning to be able to present this to you. Now, it seems like, or maybe it's just me, that in society and culture around us, it's, you know, the air that we breathe, it seems like we can easily be overcome and overwhelmed by the issues that we see in society, right? How many of you have noticed what happened this last week? It's pretty nasty. It feels like there's uncertainty There's a tension, a loss of focus of what the church is, what the church should be, what it believes, and what it stands for. There is unclarity of what our role as the church should be in society and how we are to respond. How do we respond individually as the church and corporately as the church? So today, in order to give kind of a bit of clarity and hope to us, we're going to take a closer look at what I'm calling the ABCs of ministry, the ABCs of the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to look at a specific text that if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know what it, you know what it is. 
If you're in mission circles like I am, it's a hugely key text in, in missions. It's, it kind of gives the, the hope, the certainty, and the urgency of the task. So, without further ado, I would like us to turn to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, if you have your Bibles this morning. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I think there are some located on this side here if you need. I think I'll be reading from the ESV, because it's printed here. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts to flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is, not who, it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother to death, father his child, children will rise against parents, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Wow, that's a mouthful, huh? So if you watch like TV or Netflix or anything, and you're picking up the story midstream, you have previously on, so that's what we get this morning, previously on. So in chapters one to four of this wonderful book of Matthew, you have the genealogy, you have the birth, you have the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. Essentially, the beginning of the kingdom, the announcement of the kingdom of God. In chapters 5 to 7, you have a wonderful, mind-blowing discourse on the Sermon on the Mount. It's here that Jesus presents the upside-down ethics of the kingdom of God. In chapters 8 and 9, we have a juggernaut of stories of healing, proclamation, and teaching. You've got lepers, demon-possessed dudes, control over the weather, issues of fasting, raising the dead, healing the, the blind, deaf, dumb, and mute. It's stories almost delivered at a machine gun rate. So we find ourselves at the end of chapter 9, catching a breather from the story, so to speak. 
And we pause and we get kind of a summary of Jesus' life and ministry to this point. And verse 35, it says, he was teaching, preaching, and healing. And it is here that we uncover this first letter of the ABCs of ministry. And that is A, to be aware of the needs of others. See, verse 36 says, when he saw the crowd. Now, point A or letter A here <laughs> is the verb to see in Greek. No fancy nuanced Greek here. It's just the verb to see. And it just so happens to be in the past tense. He saw. So, so what the question obviously is what did he see? Well, Jesus gives us two wonderful and interesting pictures here. The first is a picture in response to the crowd. He says that it is an image of a sheep without a shepherd. He says they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is a hugely symbolic and loaded metaphor in Scripture. Now, for fun, you should just do a st study of this through the entirety of Scripture. You will see that it is, it is just laced through the whole meta narrative of every book that you see. So, <laughs> this metaphor speaks. The sheep without a shepherd speaks of lostness. It speaks of pain, confusion, vulnerability. See, the shepherd's voice was to lead the, pe lead the people, lead the sheep to safe green pastures. It's he was to protect the sheep from predators. The sheep was entirely, completely, absolutely dependent on the shepherd. How do I know this? Well, I have a friend of mine who happens to be an Albanian guy, and his name is Hamza. And he lives in Greece. And at, you know, before I met him, his previous job, he lived in the northern mountains of Albania, and his job was a shepherd. That's what he did. And it would be an amazing time, and we would sit around at, in the evenings, and we would drink tea, and he would tell me all his stories about being a shepherd. Who would think that watching sheep could be so exciting? And he would tell me of how he wandered the countryside with the sheep with a Kalishnikov assault rifle over his shoulder, caring for his sheep. Now, being the stupid Canadian, you know, with our gun control things, I'm like... What the heck do you need an assault rifle for? It was a foolish question, obviously. And Hamza, if you know him, he had a little twinkle in his eye, and he says, Well, Heath, bears and wolves aren't the only thing that are going to eat your sheep. Hmm. He happened to be, at the time, the caretaker of the camp facility that I worked at, and that the mission ran that, that I was in Greece when I first was there, before I church planted. And... Uh, his job was to be caretaker over the grounds, but he also, they also had a small flock of sheep that would wander around in the acres above the camp facility. So one day, it was Easter, Good Friday to be specific, Hamza comes up to me and says, Heath, I need your help. Please, come with me. We're going to go get the lamb. I'm like, okay. You know, I, I love to cook, so I'm thinking, oh, this is an experience. I get to actually kill, cook, and eat. You know, it's kind of nerdy, but that's whatever. So it's Good Friday. And he says, we got to go up to the top of the hill. So we start trudging. Now, I have to remember, it's April in Greece. It's hotter in April in Greece than it is here right now. It was like 35 degrees, middle of the morning. So I get to this thicket of brush. You know, it's scrub, wild olives, and, and you know, bush that has thorns on them the size of New York. And we get here and says, okay, well, let's wait here. I'm thinking, I don't see a sheep anywhere. He says, the only thing that's going to shed blood here is me looking for the sheep. So, what does he do? 
he's kind of senses my panic, I think. And, you know, he's like, shh, Heath, listen. And with a call that sounded like a cat being beaten by a bagpipe or the other way around, I'm not sure, he lets out this beller. And within five minutes, the whole flock of sheep are surrounding us. I'm like, you know, man, I should introduce this guy to a reality TV show, Hamza the Sheep Whisperer. Okay, maybe not so, but you get the idea. So right there, he says, okay, we got to find the right sheep. And he says, oh, that one. I'm like, they all look the same to me. How could you tell? That's the one. He says, no, no, that's the one. So I'll spare you the details of how we butchered it right there. Uh, needless to say, when Jesus uses this shepherd and sheep, What he's describing is the ex vast expanse of human need. See, he uses this picture. Despite the existence of all the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and probably more than a thousand priests that served at the temple, these sheep were helpless, vulnerable, and preyed upon. Now, just for fun, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, how many times have you ever heard that in the same sentence? Ezekiel 34. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this prophecy. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, oh, shepherds of Israel, have you been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, harsh, harshness, you ruled them. So they become scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, they have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they not be, may not be food for them. Huh. This precise text is what Jesus is referring to with this metaphor. Scattered and helpless, sheep without proper care of a shepherd. It is this acknowledgement that the people were broken in need of rescuing from the very people who are supposed to protect them. Wow. The second picture that Jesus uses is another agricultural metaphor, but it's vastly, vastly different than the first one. It's that of an abundant harvest, waiting, ready to be taken in. Instead of lostness and brokenness, we see a picture of possibility and the great value of humanity. This is a picture also of need, but the need is for workers to gather, to process the harvest. This picture shows great value and the priority that the Lord of the harvest has invested in the field as well as the urgency of the task. Now, I grew up in absolutely the middle of nowhere in Alberta. 
And there were two phrases that kind of dominated the culture that existed there. The first one is, if you don't like the weather, close your eyes and wait two minutes. The second one was, maybe a little bit different, is uh, make hay while the sun shines. The first speaks of patience and a resignation that some things are just out of your control. The second one is of opportunity and of urgency. Now, these two came in full eclipse of one another during August time, during the harvest. <laughs> now, when I became old enough to understand the dynamic of interpersonal relationship, the diabolical and evil Heath would love to sit and observe the tension and judgment and spiritual accusations that would fly during the harvest. Now, I've had to repent of this, of course. Now, if it was, if it was an August, late August day, a Sunday, and it was raining, everything was okay. No problems at all. Everyone would show up at church, and tensions were perfect. But if it was sunny, and particularly if there was a few days of sun, <laughs> inevitably half the farmers would not be in church. They would be in their field harvesting their hay. And the other half of the church would sit there, not so silently judging them for working on the Sabbath. Now, most of the time, everyone had their harvest in, and it wasn't an issue. But those that had faith that God would provide the days outside of Sunday, and those that made hay while the sun shone, yeah, they both got it in. But when there was the years that, you know, the people that didn't, you know, that stayed in church while the sun shone, those people, if they didn't get their harvest in, <laughs> you know, some of them even lost their crops. I remember this vividly as kids. It was those years that after the harvest, the church, my father was the leader of the elders board, they would be discussing how they could help the farmers that had lost their crops. The make hay sect were judging the Sabbath sect as being lazy and foolish. Now, it's beyond our scope here this morning to discuss how the church dealt with these issues, but let's just say I learned a lot about sociology in the conflict of uh, church. Now, hopefully I'm a little more mature now and laugh at the convictions of others, uh, but what I did learn what the point of this story is, is the urgency and the enormous value of the harvest. And how, if you, were, if you were just hesitant for a second, you could lose your whole crop and your livelihood. Now, to show you this in scripture, this urgency and this need, uh, just briefly look, flip over to, Ma or to Luke chapter 15. I won't articulate the stories here, I just want to highlight them. The first one is you've got the story of a lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and searches for the one. The next is you have the story of the lost coin, where a woman who drastically finds her, her coin because it's of great value. And the last one is the story of a lost son. <laughs> See, these stories aren't necessarily about farming money or family per se. They illustrate and drive home how valuable humans are in the sight of God. They show the heart of a God who is willing to risk everything for the sake of the broken and the lost. So we have two pictures of humanity here. One of brokenness, pain, and confusion, and the other of great value, urgency, and possibility. Any vision or first steps in ministry begins and ends with this, the awareness of the needs of others. We need to see humanity. We need to see people those of us that are around us, we need to see those people as Jesus sees them. Sheep without a shepherd, fields of great value.
Now, this awareness brings us to our second point, or B. We need to be burdened by the needs of others. Now, after Jesus saw the crowds, the sheep without a shepherd, the harvest waiting, what was his reaction? What does the text say he did? He had compassion on them. Here we have another Greek word. Uh, does anybody know? I don't know. Anybody know what the Greek word is here for compassion? That's translated as compassion? No Greek scholars among you? Whew, good. So my pronunciation will be good. The verb here is splakinizome, translated as compassion or pity. Now, this word, this verb is not so straightforward as the verb to see. Uh, the etymology of this word is actually rather interesting. It comes from the Greek word splachna. Does anybody know what splachna means? Probably not. Okay. Literally, it means your guts, your viscera, your innards, <laughs> your heart, your kidneys, your, everything that's here. Traditionally, in, in ancient societies, the seat of your affections, the seat of your passions was your innards. See, we still used to this. We still use this metaphors today. Oh, she broke my heart. Yeah, not really. Didn't break your heart. That's the seat of our affection. So Jesus literally is moved to the very bowels, his very innards at the sight of the crowds. This speaks of someone else's pain that physically causes you pain. Now the word compassion in English sometimes I find is a weak rendering here. And maybe it's just because I'm shallow. But somehow I can ab- see the pain of others. I can observe them. And how, but I can also disconnect that from how their plight affects me. Um, I can feel distance. I can feel rather compassion from a distance. I don't know. I'm sure some of you, f- you know, are shallow like myself. Splachnizome removes this dichotomy and places the plight of others right at the very core of who you are. It's compassion that leads to action. Never platitudes from a distance. Now, I was reminded of this in my very own life a few months back. Now, I have this neighbor that really irritates me. (laughs) Confession time. I don't even like the way he walks. It's like fingernails down a chalkboard. He's about 30-ish. He lives at home with his mom, who's widowed. And every time I'd see him on the street, or I'd make, hi, how you doing? You know, being a nice kind of... Stone cold, nothing keeps walking. I get no highs, no acknowledgments. It's like I'm not even physically in front of him. So I begin to dislike him. You know, for a year I'd hear him yelling at his mother, police coming in the middle of the night. So I resigned myself to thinking that this guy has got to be an addict because I saw him, you know, clipping all his pot plants. He's a loser and a of skin. Instead of greetings him, I, I lowered myself to the level of complacency and ignored the fact that he even existed. Now, one day during my prayer time, <laughs> I was convicted that I hated this guy and I didn't even know his name. So I began to pray for my loser neighbor. Seriously, that's what I wrote in my prayer journal, loser neighbor. And I began to pray, and I began to see him as Jesus saw him. So I, as I continued to pray, one day I was getting out of my car, and the neighbor lady walked by, and I, and, I, and I was desperate to find out his name. 
them. And I said, excuse me, sir, or ma'am, could, could you tell me what your son's name is? And she tells me. And she says, oh, I'm really sorry about this last year. I'm sorry about the police and the violent outbursts. He has schizophrenia. And when he takes his meds, he's generally okay, but this last year has been rough. So I'm really sorry about all the noise and the hassle. My heart broke. I was moved to the very guts of who I was. Not from guilt of my own actions, but from compassion and pity. I was the loser neighbor, not him. Suddenly I saw things for what they are. I saw him as Jesus saw him, and I had compassion for him like Jesus has compassion for him. Just like in the case of us seeing or being aware, compassion, we need to have compassion on people the way Jesus has compassion on people. Being vulnerable to their feelings, to their plight, and being allow, allow that to change us from the very core of who we are. And that leads us to the sea in the ABCs of ministry. We are to be called and commissioned to proclaim Christ and to minister to the needs of others. So, what happens after he says these things? Does he round up his followers and say, all right, guys, let's go? No. What was his response? What do we see in this text? He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. Now, we'll just take a brief second. This word send out, it's another Greek word that literally means to thrust forth, to explode forth. So, Jesus is saying we need to pray that exploded workers can go forth. That's it's forceful, it's powerful. What he's saying is that recognizing, being aware of the needs of others and responding to the needs in others, of, is, of, in compassion rather, is important, but not sufficient. Let me repeat that. He's saying that recognizing and being aware of the needs of others and feeling compassion for them is not enough. Because the Lord of the harvest is the true shepherd. The sovereign Lord is the one who sends because he is the one who actually saves. The sending is in the function of saving. Let me repeat that. The sending is in the function of saving. Feeling burdened by the needs of others must bring us to our knees and the Lord to the Lord of the harvest who actually can save. Otherwise, we go in our own power with insufficient resources. Now, I know... When you work with refugees or around refugees long enough, you know lots and lots of secular people who are working in secular NGOs, and they have compassion. They feel burdened. They see the issues, and they try to do it in their own strength. They try to solve global issues with the power of being sent by the Lord of the harvest. And they become rogue compassion mercenaries, if I can coin the phrase. Rogue mercenaries rather than ambassadors. See, rather than ambassadors that have the resources of the Heavenly Father that is the Lord of the harvest. And this begins and ends in prayer. Now here's a quote. Uh, there's a book that was written about 100 years ago by an unknown author. It's kind of a Christian classic. It's called A Kneeling Christian. How many of you have ever heard or read that book? Wow, I have a copy if, you know, anybody wants to borrow it. But it's, it's amazing. Here's a quote. The author says this, A preacher who prays little may see some results from his labors. But if he does, it will be because someone else somewhere is praying for him. The fruit of the prayers, not of the preachers. <laughs> wow. Prayer is the hinge 
on which ministry works. So after seeing like Jesus sees, after being burdened like Jesus' burden, which leads to prayer, so what happens after the prayer time? Let's look at chapter 10, verse 1 here. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then if you skip down to verse 7, he gives them the same ministry of proclamation and healing that he himself had. Jesus calls his disciples. He commissions them with the authority of his name. And now they become ambassadors, envoys of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 2. I don't want you to miss how significant this is. In verse 1, he calls the 12 disciples. In Greek here, what is it? Chiara, what's, what's disciple in Greek? Ha <laughs> ha, I'm embarrassed her, which is good. Mathitis, it's learner, pupil. Now, look at verse 2. What does he call the 12 in verse 2? Apostles, literally meaning sent ones, messengers, delegates, ambassadors, envoys. Now, we use this term as an honorary title to the Twelve, specifically, and as a certain office in the church, theologically. But to describe the Twelve, it's, it's sent ones. There's a transition from disciple to apostle here. Now, it's, it's a completely regular term that we ourselves can use today. Yeah, you guys all know the word missionary, right? Missionary is the is our English translation of the Latin, which is a translation of apostolos, which is the Greek. Missionary means apostle. Now, to be clear, this transition from disciple to apostle, calling and commissioning, is one from being a recipient of grace to being an agent of grace. It's kind of like a spiritual 007. We are agents of the kingdom of God. So the ABCs of the kingdom of God are thus. A, to be aware of the needs of others, to see people like Jesus sees people, to be burdened by the needs of others, to have compassion on them like Jesus has compassion on them, and to be called and commissioned to proclaim Christ and to minister to the needs of others, praying to find where we're called, where we're commissioned to serve. Now, I would not be a very good minister of the gospel if I didn't explain to you the D in ministry. This is the extra bonus. And that is uh, to be determined and discerning in the face of persecution. Now, I find it kind of sad and amusing at the same time that certain corners of evangelical Christianity have this belief that if you believe and you're faithful, God will prosper you, he will bless you, he will make you rich beyond all measure. Bless the works of your hand. I'm sorry, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. God blesses absolutely. Yes, he does. But the more I read, right alongside blessing is, is persecution. It's like your shadow on a sunny day. As long as the sun shines on me, I will have the shadow of persecution. People will hate me because of Christ. To be an agent of grace <laughs> it's to be hated for it. James Bond has enemies, right? Turn with me to, to 22 again. I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves, so be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Skip down to 22. 
you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's tough to digest. That's tough in our world of tolerance to swallow. Now, about a week or so after I moved back to the coast, um, I was at the library just up the hill here. I'm f- okay, you have to imagine, I'm fresh off the boat. I'm dressed like an anarchist because that's where our church plant was. You know, I've got dark jeans, probably way too tight for me. Uh, I've got boots on. I've got kind of a black hoodie and a mohawk. And I'm minding my own business here, which means I'm not talking to anybody in the library, which is, for those of you who know me, it's quite a feat in and of itself. I'm exploring the cookbook section. And I'm talking, I found the treasure trove of all treasure troves. And it's in English. I'm like, woohoo! So I've got like 17 books in my pile to take out because I'm going to cook everything. And there's this voice from behind me says, Hey, are you new here? In my mind, I'm like, How can you tell? He says, Yeah, yeah, I just moved here. He says, From where? I said, oh, I'm like, Here we go. Greece, I respond. And she says this, Oh, I love Greece. Their yogurt is so good. I'm like, yeah, it is. How long were you there? What did you do? Something, and oh boy, here we go. So I say I lived in Greece for eight years, and I worked there doing community development work and refugee work. At this, this lady's eyes light up. She's like, oh, wow. It's almost like I've become a celebrity, which is kind of weird. And so she invites me to an enlightenment group in Roberts Creek. Now, you have to remember... I'm fresh off the boat. That should have been alarm bell. Ding, 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 ding. Nope. I'm like, oh, cool. I'd love to do that. At some point in her excitement, she asks what organization I was with. So I say, well, I'm with this organization called Commission to Every Nation. I tell her, you know, it's kind of like a Christian NGO, saying that we have like 650 people in 60 different countries. Christian, she says? Well, yeah. She says, what was your role? And being stupid, I expressed it like I was still in Greece. I'm like a priest. Well, we all know the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? But I've actually never witnessed a transformation before. So before before I could blink, Mrs. Hyde is standing in front of me. And she began a tirade of insults about my intelligence, accusations of intolerance and bigotry, allegations of raping and pillaging innocent cultures. So instead of a nice, quiet hush of the library, a crowd develops. All eyes are on me being assaulted and bludgeoned by Mrs. Hyde. Insult upon insult. Even the most crude and volatile exchanges I had with anarchists were nothing on this middle-aged lady. I had never in my life been attacked this way before. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Now that's saying something. So I was planning on explaining, you know, that her venom and her aggression against me and my faith were worse than the intolerant accusations that she was flinging at me. But as I was mounting my defense... gotta go and she evaporates I leave her saying that she's ignorant of Christ because she's never met him and you know 
I added a cheap shot at the end. I asked her if she still wanted me to speak at her enlightenment group. Um, I felt violated. I was staggered, absolutely staggered, at the level of hatred expressed in, exchange, in the exchange of bitterness that spewed from Mrs. Hyde's mouth. That was my first introduction back to my wonderfully tolerant homeland. One thing became very clear to me. She hated me because of Christ. I, as the ambassador that day, took one for the team, just like Jesus did on an ultimate level for me. That is the D in AABCs of ministry. We will be persecuted because of Jesus. And, for the, reason, and the reason for this is because his name calls us to surrender ourselves to the one who perfectly exercises authority. He does this through weakness, and that through his suffering and dying for us, we can have life. Unfortunately, most people are unwilling and won't allow themselves to be vulnerable or to surrender self-determination in the pursuit of their own happiness. And they hate Jesus because they, he asks them to do that. They are blinded to the truth that there is freedom, there is security, there is joy in surrendering to the shepherd. Mrs. Hyde, she is the sheep without the shepherd. Mrs. Hyde is the harvest ready to be brought in. In order for that to happen, we as the church need to be on our knees in prayer, praying for people to be ambassadors to her, to be agents of grace, so that despite the venom and the hatred, she can meet the shepherd. That is the ABCs of the kingdom. Some here that you have this morning don't believe any of this anyway. You're struggling with the absolute claims of Christ yourself, and you're wondering the validity of the church in a postmodern world. For you, maybe this is just an introduction into what faith is actually about. For some of you here this morning, you're just plodding along. You're unaware of the lostness of those around you. You become too busy in your own lives, and you're concerned about your Twitter feed. You don't even notice the sheep around you. We don't see as Jesus sees. Others of you are where I spent many years and where I struggle. I see, you see the lostness and the brokenness of the people, but in the interest of self-preservation, you distance yourself so you won't be burdened or have compassion on people. You aren't burdened as Jesus is burdened. Some of you see and you feel, but you become complacent in prayer, content with being just a disciple. You become the perpetual student of faith, yet unable to understand the salvation of the Lord of the harvest. And you stagnate, stagnate rather, uncalled and uncommissioned. Others of you are sent and are dealing with the post-traumatic stress of persecution. You're feeling bruised. You're feeling beaten by the enemy, lost in the teeth of today's society. The ABCs of ministry revolve around the shepherd, the Lord of the harvest. It is him who helps us see. It is him who gives us strength. It is him who gives us the burden of the lost. It is him who calls. It is him who commissions. And it is him who helps us endure. He paid the price for that. So wherever you stand here this morning, your answers lie in the prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, send out workers so that you might be the answer to your own prayer and be an agent of grace.
in a broken world. Now next week we will continue with this theme and we will look at chapter 11 and we will see John the Baptist respond to his own persecution and how our expectations, just as his, led to spiritual doubt and inactivity. Thank you.